You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. That is a natural like hurdle to overcome. I think the more you get educated, the more you can kind of speak and through the way you're speaking, demonstrate how knowledgeable you are and how serious you are about real estate investing. Hey, investors, Bradley here from Watson Estates, and you're listening to the largest, fastest growing podcast for Toronto real estate on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. It's very important we know what's going on in our local market. And so please tune in as we give those market updates. But what the heck's the point unless we're talking to investors that are killing it in the Ontario real estate market today? I'm so excited to share with you our guest. Mayu is his name. He's from the Rise Network. You've probably seen his group on Facebook or listened to his podcast, depending on where you're tuning in. These guys, they're tearing it up. He's got 45 units under his belt. And this includes in the GTA, in Windsor, and now also in New Brunswick. Brunswick. So today we talk about some of the markets and what he likes right now, as well as outsourcing and building a team. What does that look like to be successful? And what does influence mean as we continue to scale our real estate portfolio? We had such a great chat today, a lot of back and forth and some several golden nuggets, some of the great stuff that you can get over on their podcast channel as well. I know you're going to love this episode. Enjoy the show. Uh, Mayu, thank you for joining us on the show. How are you doing today? Good, Bradley. Thanks for, thanks for having me out here. How are you? Yes, I, dude, I am so glad to have you on the show. I know I love listening to the, the episodes you guys got over on the Rise podcast. And we're going to talk about some really cool stuff today. I love the synergy here. And uh, so maybe for our audience that's just tuning in and has ne- maybe never heard or seen any of the cool stuff you're doing, tell us a little bit about your story. What is your backstory yeah, yeah. in real estate? Before I get into that, I got to say, Bradley, like you, you're definitely like one of my most entertaining podcasts that I listen to. <laughs> so as soon as you asked me on here, I was like, yeah, it's going to be dope. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I'll give everyone my quick like backstory. I started my real estate investing back in 2015, but I really didn't know what the heck I was doing for a good like three years. You know, you just buy a property here, you kind of like pay off that debt, then you buy another one, like you just kind of grow organically. Um, 2018, I got laid off from my, like that, the job I was working at that time. And I was like, man, like, this is, this is shitty, right? Like, you just don't like feeling like that. Um, and then in 2019, I basically just completely revamped my real estate investing. I got up to 45 units. Now it's a mix between like family rentals, student rentals, single families, small multifamilies, um, a good chunk, chunk of my portfolios in Windsor, but I also have a few properties in the GTA and now like based on where this, when this actually airs, I've, I'll have about like 15 to 20 units in New Brunswick. So yeah, value add investor as are like a lot of us out here, you know, the bear method and all that stuff. I started to flip a little bit more real estate along the way as well. Um, and you know, in the future, I'm going to be moving to mortgage space. So that'll be interesting as well. So you're definitely full time right now at this point. No, no. You're working somewhere <laughs> else. I have a full-time job and, and oh, there's, come on, there's man. A, everyone put it in the chat. Everyone leave a comment below and say, dude, you got to quit. <laughs> no, there's a reason Twitter's for that. never win, man. All, all this time. I never, um, I, I just never bought like a principal residence, right? I was always just like putting my money into like buying like investment properties and stuff like that. So then I wanted to make sure my principal residence was the last property that I could in theory qualify for from a mortgage perspective. Yep. So I, I, I kept buying properties on my name and then I bought a pre-con because I was like, okay, this will let me like plan it out appropriately. Yep. So that pre-con is hopefully closing this year and then uh, we'll see where it goes. <laughs> so outside of the pre-con, are you doing simply burrs on everything at every level? Like even with your rent-to-owns, like everything is just a burr at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't do any rent-to-owns. Everything has been a burr. Um, I am moving closer into like just 
basically what a bird gets you is just like a very strong cash on cash return, right? Yeah. Like if I, if I had to leave 100K in a property and cash flow at 100K a year, I'd be okay with that, right? So I really just look at what's my payback period on my investment, right? If it's around like two to two and a half years, it doesn't have to be a perfect bird. It doesn't even have to be a bird. If the cash flow is that high, I'm okay waiting two to two and a half years to get my, my initial investment back, right? So for the most part though, to get like those kind of returns, you do do a bird. Um, but in the markets I'm looking at right now, I'm kind of looking at it as it doesn't have to be a full bear. Like it's okay. Right. right. And it's right. hard to find now too. Yeah. Cause everyone wants a bear. Like so, sometimes I look at it cause I, I did Windsor quite a bit. And sometimes I look at the Windsor properties and I tell people this now, I'm like, sometimes those turnkey like renovated properties, you could get it for a decent price because everyone's so busy looking at those like complete gut houses. Right. So right. Like I bought a pretty nice condition house for 210. And I know people that are paying like full gut houses for a 250, right? So it's out there and it's like, not everything has to be like this crazy renovation project, but yeah. Right. Absolutely. In fact, starting out, you don't want that crazy rental budget. So yeah, sometimes simple is a way to go, man. <laughs> I, I, I think I should come up with a creative name for you and Austin, the co-host of your podcast, man. I should call you the Burr Boys. <laughs> you guys are the Burr Boys. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> I love, I love hearing some of the content love. You guys share a ton of value with your, with your audience and everything. So, so with that, like through COVID and the, over the last several years, you've been doing this, like what's changed in your strategy as you kind of approach these deals? Yeah. Like, so I think I said earlier that I started in 2015 to 2018. I didn't really know what I was doing. I bought GTA properties at that time. Um, and it was honestly 2018 and 2019 was still a decent time to buy GTA properties. The last property I bought was, so up, in the, up until then, it was just like buy and holds and like pre-con, like flips, like those kind of things, right? And then 2019, I did my first bird project out in Scarborough in a bungalow and it was great. And I would have loved to keep doing it, except the market exploded, right? So um, good. <laughs> I, yeah, yeah. So then that's kind of when my strategy changed because I knew about the burr, but I was skeptical and I was like, ah, like that's too good to be true. Yeah. Then I did it in Scarborough and I was like, this is pretty legit, right? So yeah. uh, started going to Windsor because at that time, the Windsor market, a single family house cash flowed like $600 a month, which is pretty nice. And really like what I look for and, and what's been consistent, I think in my entire real estate investing is there's always gotta be an arbitrage play, right? So I bought a condo back in 2015 when detached housing prices were skyrocketing and condos were at like 300K. So I was like, that's a natural arbitrage where either the detach is gonna, is gonna drop or the condo yeah. is gonna go up. Um, 2018, it was a polar opposite. I remember when I bought my property out in Vic Park in Ellesmere, um, a condos, two bedroom condos are selling for like 600K almost. And a two bedroom detached house was literally 670. So I was like, well, this is, this is pretty messed up, right? So I've always been like looking for those arbitrage plays and that's kind of been consistent for me. Um, when I did Windsor, it was because I went to London and London single family house was around hundred bucks a month, cash flow 150 maybe. And Windsor was at 600. So to me, that was like, there's a natural gap there where like, that's too much of a difference between London and Windsor and either London's got to go down or Windsor's got to go up. Right. Um, so that's I started so doing- cool, man. I, I talk yeah. about that just in what the market's doing all the time. I've never heard anyone describe it that way and look at it as the investment angle. You're right. Like that's, yeah. that's an amazing way to look at it. Every, everything moves in tandem, right? Like if Toronto yeah. all of a sudden drops to like, let's just call it like 700K for a bungalow, I'm, I'm back in Toronto. Like I'll be back here for sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Even in the middle of COVID, I was trying to buy in Toronto at 700K. And the market, I think that the properties I was looking at went up to like 740 and I was being greedy, but should have yeah. just bought it. <laughs> and, and now you say I'm here in Toronto. Like I know you're, I know you're local. So you're clearly doing stuff. We'll talk about some of the markets. I want to get into, you talked about Windsor was kind of, 
up until today, but you've got big plans. So let's just go very high level. We'll get in some of the nitty gritty in a minute, but what are the markets on your radar that you really like right now for the next couple of years? For the next couple of years, I almost like in today's market, I almost have to look at things from like a six month timeline. Every six right, months, I'm that. Like evaluating, right? <laughs> so Windsor is my bread and butter. I love Windsor. It's partially because I've got the team out there so well like defined, right? Like I got my agent, my property management, um, my like two sets of contractors, um, other like support stuff that I need there. Like I can pay people to kind of go and check up on the property whenever I need to, even if it's not my property manager, things like that. It's a well-oiled machine. So, I, and I love that market just from like an economic outlook perspective, um, very strong government capital expenditures, a lot of like hospital projects, the two universities, uh, one university, one college, and it's a border town. So geographically it's kind of restricted. I love like all those elements about Windsor. I love, I hate how much attention it's getting. And that makes it like <laughs> so hard to operate there, right? No kidding. So I, I was buying up until December of 2020. It's just since then, like the market's been kind of hot. I don't know where it's going. So I, I don't feel like I can make a uh, like a calculated decision. Like what is my ARV? Shit, I don't know where it's going to be in like two months, right? So right. Um, that market's on pause, but like it's still got a lot of potential. And I'll, I'll definitely be back in that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sudbury was on my radar for quite a bit. I think a lot of people are flocking to Sudbury. It's a great market. Um, that one, you know, obviously everyone, everyone loves to talk about the mining risk in Sudbury. Right. And I think we, I was talking to Tristan a few weeks ago, Tristan Richie's a realtor out in Sudbury. Um, the mines actually haven't like, they've been operating pretty stable for like many years, for like 10, 15 years. There's, there's an occasional strike, right. But everyone's unionized workers. So they get some sort of compensation, things like that. So the Sudbury market is definitely like on my radar. Um, and then there's other markets that I've looked at, like Kirkland Lake, which is like super mining heavy. Thunder Bay, just because like Thunder Bay, it's underrated. Like no one, no one talks about it. I just For love now. going to something yeah, that I no agree. one talks about. Yeah. Um, uh, so Kirkland Lake, Thunder Bay, Timmins, I looked at for a little bit. Belleville and Trenton, I was looking at and then that market exploded as well. Um, I've got a flip going on there. But really like what I'm doing right now is, is New Brunswick. Uh, to me, it's just if I, whatever city I choose, I've got to have at least, you know, somewhere around 15 units in that city. Otherwise the scale of like, the scale and effort of building out the team. You don't really have buying power unless you scale to at least 15 units. Um, those kind of things didn't really work for it, but I love the New Brunswick market and that's really where I'm at. And I agree with all these things you said. These are all yeah. markets. I mean, I, I've stuck my nose in Sudbury. I've stuck my nose in Belleville. I see exactly what you're describing. Um, and Thunder Bay is a sleeping giant in some ways too, but New Brunswick, I, I'm very interested in. So let's talk about because most of the guests we have are, and you're from Southern Ontario, you've seen the, the heat of the market in Southern Ontario. So you're looking yeah. at New Brunswick, you and many other people is also very competitive. Yeah. Why do you, why go outside of Ontario? <laughs> uh, to be politically correct or no, like, like I, I think the answer is pretty obvious, right? It's not just cash flow. And I, I, I tell, um, I, I was telling someone else this the other day as well. If I, if I just wanted cash flow, I could go up to Thunder Bay, I could go up to Timmins, probably get the same amount of cash flow within Ontario and, you know, life's good, right? Like you're not getting out of the province. But to me, like as your, as your portfolio scales, the biggest risk in Ontario to me is always going to be tenant risk, right? Meaning if you get uh, poor quality tenants in your, in your assets, you know, non-payment of rent, how much, like, even if you generate, I don't know, let's just call it like 10 grand a month in cash flow on like a, on like a 50K unit portfolio, right? If like five tenants stop paying you rent, that's all of your cash flow gone for the month. 
right? At like $2,000 a tenant. So that was always a significant risk for me. It was always like a big concern. Um, and then when I stumbled upon like New Brunswick, I, I liked like the economics. I liked what I was seeing as a, as a region out there. I don't really appreciate, uh, I don't really invest for like price appreciation, meaning whenever that comes, it usually makes it hard for me to keep buying. So like, I like to just get out there and just like assume it's not going to happen. But the tenant risk for me in New Brunswick, it's, you know, if someone doesn't pay you rent, they're out within like the month, right? Like you could get them out so fast. And especially when you talk about multifamily investing, the, like the other pro- problem with Ontario is the multifamily play is pretty like, I think everyone knows it, right? Like you're just, you know, increasing rents, decreasing expenses, improving your NOI, refinance at a higher valuation. The problem with Ontario is you've got tenants that are in some of these buildings for like five, 10, 15 years. And, and sure, cash for keys is great in theory, right? Like I've got properties where I bought them and I thought, you know, I'm just going to go in there and do cash for keys or negotiate the vacancy. And the tenant's like, no, like we don't want to leave. And then you're like, okay, <laughs> like what are, you, what are you supposed to do, right? Wait, wait a minute. You want to stay in your house? <laughs> <laughs> and you, you don't want to go to the market and pay like double the rent right now? Like, okay, I get it. Um, so so that, that, that makes multifamily investing in Ontario like a much longer timeline and a horizon to turn around like an entire building, right? If you buy like an eight unit building, it could take you like two years, right? Um, and I've always been super focused on like, what's the velocity of my money? I want to put my money in and I want to take it out super fast so I can then go on to the next thing. And it's not like I started with a lot of capital, right? So it's always get in, get out really quick, right? Or, yeah, or- if you can make it in Windsor, you can definitely make it in New Brunswick. No question. I mean, as someone yeah. who's naturally interested in what the market's doing, if there's a need for affordable housing here in Ontario, the current laws that are in place are not making it easier for investors. I think this should be a lesson to people who are in political positions and, you know, even tenants like let the, the writings on the wall, right? The, the construction, the renovation, the nice rentals, they're, they're leaving Ontario uh, because prices are too high. Yeah, there's no cash flow. And like you're saying, the rules and with COVID even more so the shutdowns, all these things are pushing they're pushing a lot of people out. So now you've been able to build a lot of teams. And I know like we've dialogued even on like getting VAs and building these systems. I see you in your groups all the time looking for the right people. How do you build the right system in order to scale your portfolio? How valuable has that been for you as well? Yeah, like I think building. So there's two sides to it. Building like your power team in like a local region, I think is, is super important. And it was it's hard to do when you're first starting out, right? Because if you talk to an agent, like you're an agent as well you know, who do you value more? The guy that's done five or 10 units with you or the guy that's, you know, just getting started doesn't really know what he's talking about. So that that is a natural like hurdle to overcome. And I think the more you get educated, the more you can kind of speak and, and through the way you're speaking, demonstrate how knowledgeable you are and how serious you are about real estate investing. But I think, you know, having a, a, a solid power team in every region you invest in is um, is vital, right? But I think the only way to have a solid power team is to have a significant presence in that market. And, and by significance, I'm not saying, you know, like I can move the Windsor market because I can't, right? Like, I, you know, it's, it's nothing like that, but it's just enough to, you know, keep everyone equally motivated in the success of my portfolio, the success of, success of myself, whether it's my agent, property managers, or contractors, just, you know, keep everyone busy. So that's on the building a team side. I think it just, it, it comes back to going in there and going in strong. So like I've partnered up with various individuals through joint ventures, et cetera, just to increase my borrowing capacity, right? So rather than like one or two people going into a market individually and buying one property each, if, if you're looking, if we're both looking at like New Brunswick, we could easily both go in there and buy two multifamilies and we end up at the exact same position as if we bought one each. But as a result, we have more buying power. We have more leverage with our power team, right? So I think that's really what's helped me on that end. I think 
you know, if we talk about systemizing um, processes, I wouldn't say I'm the best at it. it. It's a, it's a pain, right? Like my bookkeeping, man, like <laughs> it's, it's a mess. <laughs> and I'm an hey, accountant. You, are, you so. guys are extremely active on social. I can see it. Like there's no way you're running that by yourself. I, I know you've got supports in place. Yeah. But the supports in place is so, so the rise. So, okay. So let's talk about the rise Facebook yeah. group, right? Like that, that, that's a Facebook group that myself and Austin Ye, we, we co-run for anyone that doesn't know. And it's a pretty active Facebook group, but a big chunk of that up until maybe a few weeks ago was just myself and Austin. We were just yeah. like in there accepting all the posts, filtering everything, um, responding to all the comments, et cetera. And so what we've now tried to do is, because uh, I am a strong believer that you have to almost do it first so that you can understand it and then you can bring in people to help you out with it, right? So now we're empowering other people that were active within the Facebook group and we're bringing them on as kind of like these like ambassador roles where you can then get them to approve and, and deny and, you know, all these like posts and engage with people, right? Which is, it's required. Um, so that's like, and even if we talk about the podcast, I was the one that was, you know, editing it like the night before the release of an episode, I'd spend like a couple hours like editing it. It'd be a mess. And then I'd, I'd release it the next day at like 6 a.m. or something crazy like that. And then eventually, you know, we, we brought we tried out a VA, um, like some like not VA, but those guys on like Fiverr and stuff like that. We tried them out. And then eventually, like people were just reaching out to me. So um, after I'd after I kind of figured out the editing process, I kind of, you know, put together a quick summary of like, this is exactly what we do. Here's a preamble. Here's a, the edit, the you know, the, what do you call it? Like the music stuff or whatever that goes in there. And then here's like the main episode. And then you can kind of start to outsource certain functions, but we never outsource everything all at once. So we still keep right now, we do the show notes. I upload it myself. And so then the next natural progression is to bring in someone to do those steps, right? So it's, it is kind of burning the midnight clock until we can slowly like outsource different parts of the business, right? It's challenging. It's yeah. definitely challenging. I've seen the value when it comes to social media and podcasting and all this stuff. And people would sit back and say like, well, what the heck then? Why do you do it? Like, why, why put all this effort? I mean, you and I, I mean, I know us, it supports our channel. All we're doing is circling listeners and people who are learning back <laughs> into the same pool to keep listening and learning. There's no, there's no necessary profit in doing these things. So why, I know the reasons that I do it, but why do that? Why put that amount of effort into it? There, yeah, there's two sides to it. Um, you know, the obvious one is, is I think we both do it to a certain extent to to share with other people and to kind of like empower one another, share the knowledge that we've learned. Like in my own journey, there's been multiple like YouTubers, podcasts, et cetera, that have definitely taught me everything I know. It's not like I, I didn't I didn't really do coaching until this year, right? Like before that, in the last couple of years, the, the education that I got was all for free and it was all out there. But then there's the side of it that, you know, like we, we might as well talk about it because I'm, I'm pretty sure everyone knows it's not like we're earning money from our marketing and our um, like social media or any of that stuff. But without it, I don't think I would have had the level of connections, the level of network. And I, like me and you, we probably wouldn't be talking right now if I didn't have the Rise podcast going on. And we talked as a result of that. And then we just ended up talking about other things. Right. So it definitely expands your reach. Um, I Before 2019, if you look at my Instagram page, I probably posted once every six months. I was like that kind of guy. Like I didn't take pictures of myself. I didn't take pictures of anything, right? Just kind of live life. And then it was really, I'd have to give credit to Austin on that. He was like, look, man, like you can be a real estate investor all you want, but if no one knows that you're a real estate investor, there's a cap on how high you can go. So, so I, you know, the beginning of 2019, I still had a fair amount of capital myself. So I was kind of like, no, like, that's fine. I got this. I, I don't need, I don't need people. Right. And then I, I just started, you know, writing articles, sharing a little bit about what I knew 
out, out into the world, like a rental rent versus owning in Toronto, like those kind of things. Right. And then people just start talking to you about real estate and the people that talk to you about real estate, you had no idea either owned that much real estate or had an underlying passion for real estate or had that much capital sitting around and money is in cheap supply, right? Like we look all around us, everyone's got a couple hundred thousand in equity. if you owned a house at some point, right? Um, so I think if you're going to be a real estate investor, at some point, you do have to start letting the world know that, hey, I'm a real estate investor. This is what I do. And the best way to do that, unless you're trying to talk to every single person one on one, is just talk one to many, right? Like you've got a podcast that talks to thousands of people every every day or every other every every other day, right? So same thing on social media. I post something goes out to thousand something people rather than just, hey, Bradley, you see this picture, right? So, yeah. um, so it's really that side of things, right? And I would say like, I love that. I agree. It's one to a hundred, but what I find um, having a presence does is it gives you a level of influence. So when you approach the conversation, that same one-to-one that's still going to happen, there's a level of credibility. Now you can do that from having a successful portfolio, or you can reach out or be honest, right? Like if I get a message from someone, I guess I saw an email that came through earlier. Like I'm going to reach out to this guy and he's like, yeah, this is what I've got. This is the value I've got. Let's chat and just building those contacts. So Social media online, it's allowed an incredible platform for us to interact with people, but we're still ultimately doing the same thing people have been doing for the last 10, 20 years, which is rubbing elbows, kneecap to kneecap, but now with masks on, right? That's, I guess, yeah. maybe not, maybe there's a couple chairs in between now. And it's crazy because at, at times, like, I, <laughs> I don't know about you, but at times I feel like it's, it's like a, I, I just feel like it's a bubble because everyone I know is, is buying real estate and everyone's. Right is doing a burr, right? And then I, I kind of sat back and like, I was talking to like a lot of my friends, they're not really like intertwined into the real estate investing side and none of them are, right? So I'm like, is it just that like we've surrounded ourselves by a bunch of real estate investors. So to us, it seems like, you know, it's a bubble and like whatever, but you know, at the same time, we're also like, our ecosystem is changing. Like if, if I didn't talk about real estate investing, I wouldn't have met you, you wouldn't be part of my bubble now. And, and you kind of surround yourself by people that are doing like bigger and better things than you. And you can kind of like level up as a result of that. Right. So that's a big part of it as well. That I think no one else really thinks about. I don't know if that's the case to the same extent um, for everybody, but definitely what's happening is, is that level of influence that you have is rubbing off. So there's two things. One, you're, right. you're gravitating towards those people that are like-minded, which is a sign of the first sign of success. The next thing that's happening is, is you're turning everyone else who's not into a, a believer and at least a supporter, even if they don't have, that portfolio as well. So I, I totally agree. Like I, I see exactly what you're saying. So <laughs> let's, let's jump outside of like fame talk, you know, social <laughs> platform, all this fun stuff that we all spend the majority of our time doing anyways. Let's talk about uh, types of properties. Like where are opportunities? Cause like not everyone can just jump into, I know you're in the multifamily, I'm in the multifamily, but not everyone can just jump there. And, and often with things like house hacking, it's not even necessarily the best move. So what kind of properties um, have you seen? What do you think would be a good place for someone that's just kind of looking to get started to, to go? Yeah, I think like multifamily is great. Everyone loves to talk about multifamily. There's, you know, obvious perks when you talk about how it's valued as a business rather than based on like residential comps. You have more tenants under one roof, like all those kind of things are there. It's great. It's a great like method. Um, I still prefer to kind of do the duplexes, triplexes and the quadplexes and stick to that realm. I, I'm moving away from single family houses right now, yeah. uh, just because the market is hot and you need more rent roll to kind of justify it. But some of the best projects I've done have been single family house. It's vacant on possession, right? So there's nothing to it. I, I go in there. I know exactly what I need to do. It's only one bathroom, one kitchen. Like your renovation costs are like 25k max right or you could go higher but you know what i mean like you spend about 25k and then within three to four months you're refinancing and you're out 
right? So, so I could do a duplex with the tenant and it's both tenanted and it takes me like a year to turn around or I could do two single family houses within like six to seven months, right? So, so in my opinion, like those single family houses are significantly undervalued from an investment perspective, just in terms of easy getting in and getting out. And I'd say, you know, while multifamilies are great, liquidity is always going to be much better in the up to four unit class of assets, right? Like even if I try and sell a four unit versus a duplex, the duplex is going to sell much faster and much easier, right? Um, so I really value that liquidity. Like if we talk about New Brunswick, I am doing two multi-buildings out there, but I'm also at the same time looking at two duplexes right now that I'd want to close. And I was talking to the realtor and he kept sending me um, some like off-market, like larger buildings. And I was like, no, like I specifically want duplexes for the sole reason that those two duplexes will be will always be more liquid than the than the eight unit and the seven unit that I bought, right? So I think it's if you're just getting started, go easy, just build confidence, right? Don't go like don't do anything crazy and like get in way over your head. Cause even with the eight unit and the seven unit, like I feel like I'm in over my head sometimes. Right. Yeah. So um, and, I, and I've given the same advice to people who want to get into multifamily or, or if not, you definitely need to have a partner. So like I've yeah. heard any of you, I know, I know my, you, you've got, you, you, you do joint ventures, but there's so many great people doing amazing things. Um, so if you just want to jump it all together, you got to learn, you got to, you got to pay to play in a sense in yeah. order to get that knowledge. And the joint venture could be anything you want, right? It doesn't have to be a capital partner and an active partner, True. right? So uh, I'll tell How you- How else would that look? Yeah, give, give us some examples of that. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you about new- Okay, so there's, there's two stories to this. Uh, one is in Windsor. There, I, had a, um, I did have a, a capital partner that hopped on, but he hopped onto a joint venture for the sole reason of learning and leveraging my power team, right? And that's like, I told him straight up, I and mean, he's like, hey, like, you know, can I- can I get your uh, your contractor? Can I get your property manager? I'm like, sure, it's fine. I can give you my property manager, for example. But to them, you're just one guy with one property, right? Versus if you want to get properly plugged into my ecosystem, come on, like, well, let's do a joint venture. You give me the capital, right? Let's buy this. And then my contractor is not going to give you an overpriced bid because I give him like a different house every couple of months, right? So he's going to give you the favorable bid, bid that he gives me. And then when you deal with him the second time on your own, you're now going to be a repeat customer. You're not going to be a first-time customer for the agent. You're not going to be a first-time customer for the property manager or the contractor. And I think there's a lot of value in that. And people don't look at that potential advantage to a joint venture, right? right. Um, so just because you're a capital partner now doesn't mean you have to continue being a capital partner. The second thing is, I already touched on it earlier in New Brunswick. I was looking at New Brunswick. I had a previous uh, joint venture capital partner who was also looking at New Brunswick, right? So he was going to buy his own like multi. I was going to buy my own multi basically went to him and I'm like, look, man, like, why don't we just diversify our risk? Cause he was looking at St. John, New Brunswick. I was looking at Moncton, New Brunswick. I'm like, why don't we just buy one in each? Right. And that, that way I have, you know, my foot in each market and we can kind of scale a little bit faster as well. And we can reduce the workload. Like if I'm busy on my other like flips or something like that, you'd ideally be able to step in. If you're busy, like I can definitely step in. Right. So we're both active partners. We're both putting up the capital and the beauty of multi multifamily investing is like, there's no like personal mortgage or anything like that. Right. So um, that kind of helps as well. But a joint venture is literally just two people, two parties coming together to jointly venture on any kind of project, right? So it can be any kind of term that you want, 50, 50, 30, 30, 70, whatever it is, right? Um, and yeah, so, so that's kind of where there's my head is. There's a couple of things that I've, like, as I'm listening to you talk that I've thought of, number one, I'll start with the one that I'm probably going to forget is let's say you're selling a property, right? You're like you maybe got a partner that's leaving. Doesn't necessarily mean you need to leave, maybe pick somebody up. And so, and the other kind of aspect to that, that I don't even really consider is there's value in having the deal. So if, yeah. if in some ways I would think someone could link to a joint venture in a smaller portion, 
if they wanted to take their wholesaling or if they've got access to off markets or a really good deal under their belt, they could leverage that in order to build it out, but not necessarily need to build the systems because they would then share that or be a, they'd be party to that deal that they otherwise would have just given away for a smaller amount. Yep. Yep. I've had those discussions with wholesalers before. I've never actually structured that where I gave a wholesaler equity instead, but I've had discussions with the wholesaler where I'm, I'm looking to buy the property anyways. And he goes, you know what, like in, instead, if, if you want to come on as like a capital partner, I'll just like reduce my fee and like you, you keep an equity stake. Right. And, and that's another part of, cause everyone always focuses on, I have this conversation way too many times where it's like, Oh, like, why would I give all this money? And, and you take half of the project. I'm like, look, man, like I bring this property that's 50K under market value and I give you 50% of that. Why am I giving you essentially 25K? Got it. We nope. just called the next trend, dude. These wholesalers <laughs> are going to rise up on us. <laughs> <laughs> I see that pun. <laughs> I don't uh, know if pun intended. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, Mayu, this has been a really cool chat. And I, if you could let us know, again, we've covered some of them. Let us know where people can find you and track your journey as, uh, as you venture across Canada. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> uh, Instagram is definitely the best platform for me. I, I've, you know, I've got Facebook and I've got I've got a website and all that stuff. But Instagram, Mayu Tava, so that's M A Y U dot T H A V A. Uh, it's probably the best way to reach out to me. And uh, always happy to contact connect with anyone. And if you're looking to you know meet other investors, check out the Rise Group on Facebook. Um, Bradley's part of it, and I'm always there, like trying to comment away and give value wherever we can. So. Uh, yeah, and hopefully we'll have you on soon on the podcast soon, Bradley. I know we're taking a little bit of a break right now, but you'll be on That's our That's how it goes, so. man. Happy to come on anytime. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining All us, right. Mayu. We'll see you next time. Yeah, thanks for having me.